0: Hey guys, before we start the show, I just want to give a quick shout-out to another podcast. Hey, don't forget to check out the Pacific War Podcast week by week, in
1: association
0: with Kings and Generals.
1: Kings and Generals is proud to announce that this is one of the many incredible channels that we've partnered up with for Project Ukraine. Project Ukraine is a playlist dedicated to telling the past of the Ukrainian people to aid them in the present. Your likes, shares, and donations to the charity we're collaborating with will have a direct impact in aiding the most vulnerable citizens of Ukraine. We have partnered up with the Babyn Yar Holocaust Memorial Center in Kyiv, which was bombed by the Russian troops at the start of the invasion. Today, the foundation has transformed its projects, refocusing its resources and efforts on purchasing and delivering humanitarian aid to civilians and evacuating people from combat zones. In the first week of April, the center provided over 7000 food baskets to patients and doctors at Kyiv hospitals, to bomb shelters in the Kyiv underground, as well as to people with disabilities and elderly people who cannot leave their homes. They also provided targeted assistance to 3354 people delivering specific medications, food and hygiene products on individual requests. We hope that viewers would consider donating to this noble cause, And help with the humanitarian situation in Ukraine. You are listening to the Pacific War Channel's podcast. If you wish to see the video version of these podcasts, go to the Pacific War Channel on YouTube.
0: The countries of Ukraine and Korea may seem distant but they both share a common history of being fought over by their neighbors and faced ethnicide by the USSR and the Empire of Japan. Their culture, their language, their very existence as a people have been under assault, particularly in the early 20th century, and more recently for Ukraine in the 21st. Putin's war is one Ukraine has already seen before in its history, its culture and its national identity will not be extinguished so easily. Today, I would like to share with you a story of two nations who struggled to retain their language, culture, and independence. Both the Russification of Ukraine and the Japanization of Korea began centuries ago. For Ukraine, many argue it started in 1709 after Tsar Peter the Great won the Battle of Poltava. But I would like to start this story during a period when both nations were literally being torn apart by their neighbors, and had their identity stamped upon. When the Russian Empire collapsed in 1917, the Ukrainians called out for independence. The Russian Revolution of February of 1917 ushered in a provisional government, the introduction of freedom of speech of an assembly, and the removal of many Tsarist restrictions for minorities. A Ukrainian press and political parties were formed, and by March, an all-Ukrainian council, the Central Rada, was created in Kyiv. The next month, the Central Rada solidified itself as the highest authority in Ukraine and elected Mikhailo Khrushvensky as its head, striving to build a nation. The central Rada refused to accept or cooperate with the new Bolshevik-led government in Petrograd, and by November the 20th proclaimed the Ukrainian National Republic. In December, the Bolsheviks formed a rival Soviet government in Kharkov, and by January launched an offensive against Kyiv. This is known as the War of Ukrainian Independence. On January the 22nd, as the Soviets were invading Kyiv, the Ukrainians proclaimed total independence. Upon seizing the city, Soviet forces under Mikhail Mukharivyev shot civilians in the street for speaking Ukrainian, and 5,000 people suspected of working with the Central Rada were executed. On February the 9th, the Central Rada and Central Powers signed the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk and a German-Austrian offensive dislodged the Soviet forces from Kiev in March, then out of Ukraine as a whole by April, leaving Ukraine under German influence. It seemed that the Ukrainians had made a deal with the devil, as by April the 29th, the Central Rada was overthrown by a German-supported coup led by General Pavlo Skoropadsky, who proclaimed the Ukrainian state of Hetmanate. And himself its monarch. The Ukrainian people formed the Ukrainian National Union to combat the regime, and by the end of World War I, it collapsed. The Ukrainian National Republic returned, led by Simon Peteluya. However, in eastern Galicia, another Ukrainian National Republic formed, bringing war with the Poles, who also sought that territory for their own new state. By late July of 1919, the Poles took control of Galicia, which was granted to them by the Paris Peace Conference. The Soviets wasted very little time invading Kyiv, and reinstated the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic by March of 1919. However, this drew in the White Army, led by General Anton Dyninkin, who overran most of central and eastern Ukraine. The Ukrainian side, with relief as the Soviets were once more cast out, but General Denikin considered Ukrainian nationalism as a threat. Upon entering Kyiv, Denikin proclaimed that the state institutions and education system would all be in Russian. His troops disbanded Ukrainian language newspapers and institutions and replaced Ukrainian language signs with Russian ones. Anyone who resisted was met with brutality. The Soviets still held Crimea in 1920. Simon Petliura signed the Treaty of Warsaw on April 21st with Joseph Poczycki to combat them. In return for Polish military assistance, Petliura surrendered any Ukrainian claim to Galicia and Western Volhynia. The joint militaries took Kyiv by May the 6th, but a Soviet counter-offensive was unleashed, pushing them back to Warsaw by August. As the tides of war turned, so did the Poles, who signed a truce with the Soviets, the Treaty of Riga, in March of 1921. The Soviets agreed to recognize Polish control of Galicia, western Volhynia, and even western parts of Ukraine. In return, Poland recognized Soviet control over central and eastern Ukraine. Petylov's forces kept the fighting going on, but by mid-1922, The Soviet-Ukrainian War came to a close with a Soviet victory. And the war-torn Ukrainian people were incorporated into the USSR as the SSR. Like so many other nations under the Russian yoke, at the end of World War I, Ukraine sought her independence, her right to be a people, to seize her rightful place in the world, but like so many others, she was torn apart. Ukraine was big and powerful enough to be independent. But she was surrounded by even larger expansionist powers. Despite its cultural and physical distance, Korea shared the same fate and geopolitical conundrum that faced Ukraine. In the late 19th century, Korea, or the Chosun dynasty, was fought over by her neighbors and belittled as a nation. The newly emerged empire of Japan who had invaded Korea in the 16th century began initiating formal relations such as the Japan-Korea Treaty of Amity in 1876. Japan sought to break Korea's tributary relationship to China and exploit her commercially with unequal treaties, one of the many tricks Japan had learnt from the West. China fell into disputes with Japan over its actions with Korea, and this all culminated into the First Sino-Japanese War of 1894-1895. Much like Ukraine, Korea became the battleground of other nations fighting over it, while disregarding its sovereignty completely. Both the IGA and the IGN made incredible victories, such as the Siege of Port Arthur and the Battle of Yalu River absolutely crushing and humiliating the Qing Dynasty. Upon winning the war, Japan began exerting influence over Korea, first by installing pro-Japanese politicians within the Korean government. This led those politicians to enact the Gabo reforms that changed Korea's national status, its hierarchy system, its government, and its military. In other words, Korea was being assimilated. Japan followed this up by orchestrating the assassination of Queen Min, who was courting the Russian Empire seeking to bring Korea under its sphere of influence. The timing of these events was particularly sensitive, as Russia had just gained the lease for the Liaodong Peninsula following the First Sino-Japanese War. The assassination prompted King Gojong to seek refuge at the Russian legation for over a year, All of this turmoil led progressive Koreans to seek Western aid in order to counterbalance the influence of Japan, and thus the Independence Association was formed in 1896. They sought a Western model rather than a Sino or Japanese modernization movement, national self-rule, government reforms, and national self-strengthening. Their movement caused riots, however, and eventually King Gojong came out of the Russian legation and yielded to the pressure from Japan, Russia, and the Independence Association by proclaiming the founding of the Great Korean Empire in 1897. Korea was now officially independent from the Qing Dynasty, but was now being fought over by Japan and Russia. Westernized modernization efforts began, such as the Gwangmu reforms of 1897 to 1907, which sought to abolish the status system industrialize the country, expand the military, reform the education system, and establish a healthcare system. However, during this period came the Russo-Japanese War of 1904 to 1905. The IGA and the IGN won tremendous victories, such as the Battle of Mukden and the legendary Naval Battle of Tsushima. The Empire of Japan sent shockwaves throughout the world by winning the first major military victory in the modern era of an Asian nation over a European nation. And yet again, Korea had a war fought over it against its will, much like Ukraine saw at the hands of the Central Powers and the Soviet Union. The Japan-Korea Protocol of August 1904 was signed requiring Korea to accept financial and diplomatic advisors designated by Japan and to consult Japan before treating or trading with any foreign nation. This was followed up by the Ilsa Treaty of 1905, depriving Korea of its diplomatic sovereignty and making it an official protectorate of Japan. Korea would now have Japanese Resident Generals, and King Gojong sent 17 letters to 8 heads of state and three secret emissaries to the Second International Hague Peace Convention appealing for help, but it was to no avail as he was forced into retirement by Japan. The Japan-Korea Treaty of 1907 gave Japan official control over Korea's government and disbanded her military by August the 1st. Then in May of 1910, Japan annexed Korea and it would not see independence until after World War II. Like Ukraine, Korea was snatched up by an empire, and its culture would be ravaged. The first Ukrainian Socialist Soviet Republic formed its first All-Ukrainian Congress of Soviets in December 1917, and then its constitution in March of 1919. Ukraine ceded its rights to foreign relations and trade to Moscow. By 1924, Ukraine's jurisdiction was limited to domestic affairs while its foreign relations, trade, transport, and military were under the full control of Moscow. The Communist Party of Ukraine, the CPU, was overwhelmingly non-Ukrainian at its founding, with just 7% of its 5,000 members being Ukrainian. Then, a glimmer of hope emerged when Kryny Zetzeya was enacted. This policy sought to integrate non-Russian nationalists into the governments of their respective Soviet republics. This encompassed the promotion of native languages in education and literature, within the workplace, within the government, and fostered national cultures. For Ukraine, this became a decade-long process of rapid Ukrainization, On August 1st of 1923, the Ukrainian language was mandated to all levels of state institutions. Enrollment in Ukrainian language schools and publication of Ukrainian literature skyrocketed. The program was met with strong resistance by non-Ukrainian party members, but by 1925, the resistance was overcome as more and more Ukrainians had become party members. By the late 1920s, the CPU's Ukrainian membership grew past 50%. Between 1926 and 1934, illiteracy dropped from 47% to just 8%. By 1929, over 97% of secondary school students were obtaining their education in Ukrainian. By 1931, 66 theaters out of 88 were Ukrainian. Ukrainian newspapers, which were non-existent in 1922, had reached 337 out of 426. 89 magazines out of 118 were Ukrainian, and Ukrainian books reached 83%. Ukrainian nationalism was at an all-time high, but unfortunately, this drew concerns from Moscow, and Joseph Stalin gradually took action. In 1923, the head of the SSR, Christian Rakotsky, was advocating that Moscow hand over some power to the Soviet republics. Stalin sent him to honorary exile replacing him in 1925 with Lt. Lazar Kaganovich. Within a year, Kaganovich engineered a political split amongst the SSR. As Stalin consolidated his power in Moscow, he no longer needed to make concessions in Ukraine, and by 1929, many leading figures of the Ukrainization were removed as the CPU began attacking prominent Ukrainian academics and educators on the basis of their Ukrainian nationalism. 474 individuals were put on trial and accused of belonging to a fictitious Union for the Liberation of Ukraine. It was purported that members of this union were conspiring with Joseph Pitsudsky and Ukrainian immigrants trying to start a rebellion. 45 people were found guilty and sent to the gulags. In 1928, Stalin enacted his first five-year plan for industrialization and its cost was felt heavily by Ukrainian peasants. Wholesale collectivization began in 1929. The percentage of farms collectivized in Ukraine went from 9% to 65% in 1930 and to 90% by 1935. The Ukrainian peasants resisted the collectivization by forming revolts, destroying machinery and property, and even slaughtering their own livestock. The collectivization was accompanied by a dekulakization process, and around 300,000 Ukrainian peasants would be deported between 1930 to 1931 as a result. In the early 1930s, the Ukrainization policies were abruptly and violently reversed. Ukrainization, bourgeoisie nationalism was declared the primary problem in Ukraine. Ukrainian language newspapers, publications, and schools began to switch to Russian. Ukrainian scholars, cultural leaders, and CPU members who backed Ukrainization were purged. A large amount of Ukrainian intelligentsia were arrested and executed in what became known as the Executed Renaissance in Ukrainian history. This campaign of terror peaked in 1933 with the most egregious attack on Ukrainians, the infamous Holodomor. The Holodomor, meaning death by hunger, was a man-made Great Famine ordered by Joseph Stalin in 1932-1933, resulting in a demographic catastrophe unprecedented in peacetime. Of an estimated 5 million people who died in the USSR during the famine, nearly 4 million were Ukrainian. The famine was a direct assault on the Ukrainian peasantry, who continued to resist the collectivization process. It was also an attack on the Ukrainian village model, a key component of Ukrainian culture. Ukraine was the breadbasket of Europe. In 1932, its grain harvest resulted in below average yields, mostly as a result of the collectivization campaign. Despite the low yield, there was enough to sustain Ukraine's population. However, Stalin ordered the requisition quotas for Ukraine to an impossibly high level. Special Agent Brigades were dispatched to Ukraine to assist in the procurement of grain, and this resulted in homes being routinely searched and foodstuffs confiscated. Food rations to the Ukrainian countryside were drastically cut back, and in August of 1932, a law was passed making the theft of socialist property a capital crime. Thus, peasants faced firing squads if they stole even a single sack of wheat from a state storehouse. The result was the rural population being left with insufficient food to feed itself, and the ensuing starvation grew to a massive scale by the spring of 1933, while Moscow refused to provide relief. To add insult to injury, the USSR exported millions of tons of grain to the west during this time period. When the famine subsided, the traditional Ukrainian village model was destroyed, and a massive immigration of Russian settlers came to Ukraine to repopulate the devastated countryside. In 1933, Pavel Potsdyshev, who functioned as Stalin's direct emissary, something like a quasi-governor-general of Ukraine, would go on to say... 1933 was a year of the defeat of Ukrainian nationalist counter-revolution. The Holodomor's existence was denied by the USSR during and up until 1980. Stalin combined the Holodomor with the process of russification, and Ukrainian villages were destroyed. Ukrainian peasants migrated to cities where the Russian language and culture was enforced and the Ukrainian language and culture was repressed. Stalin ordered the promotion of the history of the USSR, emphasizing Russia. He began interchanging the term Soviet with Russian, and signed off on multiple Russian history projects, such as the 1937 film Peter the I, 1938's Alexander Nevsky, and the 1939 opera A Life for a Tsar. Russian nationalism swept across the USSR and solidified Russia's dominant role whilst subjugating the other nationalities. Before the offset of World War II, Stalin prepared the USSR for a possible foreign invasion and began clearing the front lines for potential traitors. Ethnicity became a new criteria of traitorship during the Great Terror, producing a massive purge of Germans, Poles, Japanese, Ukrainians, and other minority groups. Over 335,000 people were arrested, and 73% of those were executed. After the fall of Paris in 1940, Stalin feared that Ukrainians would support a German invasion of Ukraine. So, in May of 1941, he had 11,000 Ukrainians deported from former Polish territories to Siberia. Ukraine would not see a glimmer of hope until its independence in the 1990s. Before the annexation, Japanese ethnographers portrayed the Japanese and Koreans as a peoples of the same race, but the former being more advanced in terms of civilization. Japan believed that the difference in stages of civilization and cultural development validated its role in leading Korea. Thus, Japan took on a fatherly role similar to how Russia viewed itself in relation to Ukraine. Unfortunately, much like Ukraine, there was a massive project targeting the agricultural output of the nation. There was a massive land ownership takeover by Japanese individuals and corporations, forcing many Koreans into tenant farming. Japanese authorities forced Korean peasants into compulsory labor for large-scale projects also making them pay high taxes for those said projects which, furthermore, impoverished many, forcing them to lose their land and thus become tenant farmers. Japan enforced large-scale rice cultivation in Korea to feed its booming population back home. Tenant farmers had to pay over half of their crop yield as rent, forcing many families to send their wives or daughters to factories or prostitution. pay off taxes. By 1939, a statistical analysis showed that among the total capital recorded by factories, about 94% were Japanese-owned. Koreans owned about 61% of small-scale firms that had 5-49 to employees, while 92% of large-scale enterprises with more than 200 employees were Japanese-owned. Prior to the annexation, the Korean army was disbanded, but a militia group named the Righteous Army rose up under the command of Yi In-yong. In 1907, the Righteous Army had 10,000 troops who attempted a liberation of Seoul, but were repelled 12 kilometers from the city by two divisions of the IJA, backed by two warships at Incheon. The Righteous Army retreated from Seoul and would carry on operations against the Japanese for two more years. They would be defeated, and 17,000 of them would die while 37,000 were wounded. After the annexation and defeat of the Righteous Army, the following nine years were called the Military-Police Reign Era, characterized by massive violence and frequent civilian death. Japan held complete control over Korea's media law, and government. Koreans were deprived of freedom of assembly, association, press, and speech. Japan implemented their own education system in Korea as a method of assimilating Koreans and directing them towards Japanese interests, while simultaneously restricting any rate of co-education between Korean and Japanese emphasis was placed on teaching the Japanese language, history, and culture while repressing the Korean language, history, and culture. Their education served more to prepare them for the job market rather than for higher education, as Japan actively restricted Koreans to only primary education to funnel them into the workforce. The fields of focus were agriculture industry and manufacturing to produce a population that would contribute to the Empire of Japan. Public places adopted Japanese, and it became a crime to teach history from non-approved texts. This led Japanese authorities to burn over 200,000 Korean historical documents. On March the 1st of 1919, a nationwide anti-Japanese movement commenced. King Gojong died and became a symbol of independence to his mourners who came to Seoul for his funeral. 33 Korean cultural and religious leaders issued a proclamation supported by thousands of students and civilians at Seoul, protesting the forced assimilation of Koreans into the Japanese way of life. A declaration of independence was read in Seoul, and up to a possible 2 million people took part in thousands of rallies taking place all over Korea. The Japanese authorities brutally suppressed the protesters, and up to 7,500 people were killed, 16,000 were wounded, and 46,000 were arrested. Realizing their limitation to rule by force, the Japanese government switched its policy to a less conspicuous cultural policy. The military police were replaced with civilians, and limited press freedom was permitted. Somewhat reminiscent of the Krenyadzea policies in Ukraine, Korea was given a limited ability for Koreanization. For the first decade of colonial rule, no Korean-owned newspapers existed, but in 1920, two major Korean newspapers were established, the Tai Nippo and Chosun Nippo. 1921, the Japanese government made efforts to promote Korean media and literature, and created some incentives for ethnic Japanese students to learn Korean. In 1922, the subject of Korean language, which had been abolished in many schools, was changed to a requirement. In 1928, the Korean Language Society was permitted to inaugurate Hangul Day, a celebration of the Korean alphabet. But, When the Second Sino-Japanese War of 1937 broke out, cultural assimilation was aggressively strengthened again, in a policy known as Naisen Itai. The Korean language became an elective in 1938. Later, the tuition in the Korean language was discontinued, and then the Korean language was restricted. Korean newspapers were closed. In 1940, Koreans were coerced to adopt Japanese names. 80% of Koreans changed their name to Japanese names as a means of overcoming discrimination and bettering their chances of success in society. Koreans who retained their Korean names were barred from school enrollment, refused government service and even excluded from food rations. By 1941, the entire education system was fit for war preparation, and by 1943, all Korean language courses were effectively phased out. Teaching and speaking in Korean became prohibited. Both Ukraine and Korea went through periods of fragmentation by their neighbors, who trampled over their language, culture, and existence as a people. Once they were officials under the yoke of the USSR, or that of the Empire of Japan, both Ukrainians and Koreans underwent ethnocide, brutality, and arguably, cultural genocide. Korea was violently torn apart in the end, but fought tooth and nail for its independence. South Korea is one of the most prosperous nations on Earth today, but lives under constant threat from its northern counterpart and other neighbors. Today, we can see that Ukraine, much like it was in the early 20th century, is under threat. Vladimir Putin seeks to tear Ukraine apart, perhaps in half, much like Korea is today. However, much like South Korea today, Ukraine will hold firm and not allow itself to be russified and forgotten. The Ukrainian people survived Stalin, and they will survive Putin.